Hello, and you're listening to episode 17 of Don't Be Strangers, a social experiment focused on learning to create more meaningful connections together. I'm your host, Shinyi, and anyone of any background is welcome to apply to come on to co-host an episode. As a gentle reminder, if you've been meaning to join our Pen Pals Club, signups for March is open until the 25th. You can find all the information and more on the Instagram page at Don't Be Strangers. Today, we're speaking with yet another stranger, Matt, who was an absolute joy to speak with. This is going to be a fun one as we dive into topics such as 1. Matt's experience growing up mixed race, 2. Nicknames and what they reveal about our relationships, 3. Our favorite creative collaborations, 4. His audio drama, Project Gnosis, and 5. Things we have in common. With that, this is Matt. Hello guys, I'm Matthew Curran. I am uh, 28 years old. I am actually a graduate from U of H in Houston, Texas. I am both a filmmaker and also an audio drama producer, amongst uh, other things. Um, I'm also a Filipino-American, or at least biracial Filipino-American, that's on the autistic spectrum. Um, I wanted to ask you, as an Asian-American artist, aside from what you've accomplished so far, what is next for you to use your art to empower the community? I thought about this, and now I can't even remember, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what my okay. thoughts were around this yeah because i think at the end of the day and this kind of ties in with one of your other questions with the type of audience that i want to share my art to so kind of a double whammy answer here being that i feel like with my art and with who I am just in general, because I tie a lot of my identity to my art as well, is just that I want to help other people like me, uh, specifically creative chimeras who are just artists without a true medium, who are more interested in exploration of medium than saying, oh, I'm like a watercolor painter. Oh, or, oh, I solely... Um, I don't know, I solely work with fabric and like I'm solely in fashion, for example, because of this multi-layer of multi-layer experience of feeling very disconnected from humanity due to not niching myself as a creative in the first place. And then also being Asian American on top of that also being in like artists working in the tech space so i'm not professionally working in the creative field always feeling very displaced oh i don't belong in america but i also don't belong in asia and also i don't belong in art but neither do i belong in tech and i and even within the creative space like i had friends asking me oh why haven't you joined like the photography community in our city and me just staring at them and thinking, well, because I don't identify as a photographer, so I don't know how I would be able to feel comfortable in this space. At the end of the day, what I hope to accomplish with my art is really to validate other artists like me who Mm. also feel like they are creative chimeras, who feel like they are a mismatch of everything, and to feel that they have space and are allowed to not niche because I feel like the prevailing message for success uh, is always, well, you need to pick one thing and apply yourself to it. And that's how you would attain success. But if if that doesn't ring true to you, like it doesn't ring true to me, then 
you feel like you don't belong, right? So right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I understand your position when it comes to being what we call the middle children. You know, in in terms of everything we do, you know, whether or not in terms of identity, in terms of like profession, in terms of what you are, in terms of the creative field. Um, I always had a like because for, I myself am actually mixed race myself, as I mentioned earlier. And also, as someone that was in media production, I had a hard time trying to get into the field because of like my own uncertainties as someone that's like in the middle of everything. I always I feel like I'm in the middle of like someone else's thing and then someone else's thing, but I could never really do something for myself, if that makes any sense. Yeah, actually, if you don't mind digging into this topic, because I have a few friends who are of mixed race, and I, I would love to hear more about if you were willing to share your experience growing up like mixed race. And yeah, how was that experience for you? As someone that's mixed race, I um, I was, well, let me tell you about who my parents are, at least. Sure. So my mom is actually an immigrant from the Philippines, uh, specifically the, the area of Cebu. She's a nurse that actually came to America to support her family. Uh, she met my dad, who was um, like a, a white American, uh, specifically an Irish American. Uh, that's a lawyer. And this was in New York City. They got together. It was actually an accident of how I got born, you know, <laughs> just just well, then again, a lot of people tend to be accidents when they when they tend to be born. But um, yeah, I was when I grew up like as someone that was under my mom, I actually st my first memories were actually in the Philippines because she actually sent me there because she couldn't raise me for a period of time in America because she couldn't afford it because my parents separated. And that's when I started learning more about my family and stuff like that. Um, I, I was there for two years. I got accustomed to it until she took me back to America. The problem is, is that uh, she was not very inclined to teach me Tagalog or Cebuano, which are the native dialects of where I'm from, because she feared that I would have a, I would struggle to speak English if I returned back to America. And ultimately, I think we both regretted that because I kind of like feel like I was a bit whitewashed, but not just in terms of language, but in also terms of like any general sense of identity, what it means to be Filipino. And basically the idea is that like, for example, if you look at me, I don't really look um, what is the normal conception of a Filipino because again, white blood and amongst other things, I don't have the tendency, yes, like the things that, you know, a lot of people attribute to Filipinos aside from language, also terms of like habits that most people attribute to. But over time, I realized that it doesn't really matter in terms of what it means to be Filipino because, because it's not like, because being, being like, a, like where you belong to is not like a certain amount of traits that define who you are. Just like I, I assume you're Chinese, correct? Yes, yes. Okay. Like, I don't think you're limited by you know, by how much you know about the language or how much you you know like the food and stuff like that because there's because it's about mostly about an experience that is inherent to you as someone that was born from some place, but as at the same time, at the same time it's also about how but your relate it's about a relationship if I if that makes any sense a relationship between you and the people that you have come from. And I think that also defines the experience as much as anything else that people attribute traits to, whether you be Filipino or black or white or et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
So I, I would I would think that also um, that I was also part of a Filipino art collective. And when I told them that I was like half Filipino, they said that I wasn't uh, half Filipino. You are actually full Filipino because it doesn't really because it's not a matter of like who you're born like like if you were born from one just one Filipino parent or the, or two Filipino parents, you're still full Filipino because you're you are part of the experience. If that makes any sense. Mm, yes, I love that outlook. So in in your argument, then, would you say that like me being Chinese, but I love the culture and for some reason start to like develop a relationship with the Filipino culture, if I would be, if I could say that like I identify as Filipino is you, within your realm of understanding cultures and stuff, um, does that fit or no? Well, that's actually a very complicated question because there's a lot of different people that wish to associate with other cultures, but of course, people from the cultures that you know identify as you know, you know where they're from, wouldn't normally uh, uh, typically you know attribute foreigners to their own culture and stuff like that. But I, we have seen stories about people from other races and other nationalities try to adopt adopt the cultures that they they tend to like. But it's, oh, there's a difference between like something that's performative as opposed to you know, truly, truly being part of like what the what we call the family. Yeah, it, it it's 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 a very thin line between what would be considered appropriation as opposed to what is considered to be truly an attribution where you're assimilated but also still distinct. And personally, for me, as someone that is, you know, biracial Filipino and also that I also don't want to center my idea as someone that is just Filipino or biracial or anything like that. In the end, I can only attribute myself as myself. I can only attribute Matthew as Matthew. I can't be anyone but myself, just like everybody else cannot be anything else but themselves. Because ultimately, things like Filipino or autism or or like a filmmaker, all of these are just attributes that make the full Matthew experience. Just like everything that makes you, uh, everything that you've done, everything that you are, everything that that you're trying to aspire to be, as especially as someone in this podcasting realm, that makes part of the Jin Yi experience, correct? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yes, I love that because I feel like we get attached to labels and then we limit ourselves to these labels. But then at the same time, I feel like it is a thin line because there is power in words. So if if you can't describe something in words, then it's harder to understand, I feel like, right. to a certain degree. And so... I remember when I first started looking for a label for myself, as which I finally landed on as Creative Chimera, a lot of my friends counter-argued, asking me, why do I need to label myself? Is it necessary to you? And my response to them was, well, if, if I don't have something, I can hang on to as like, a part of like an identity or something that I can explain myself with, then I feel very frustrated and very mm. misunderstood because I'm I'm not even understanding myself, right? Yeah. So before that label that I found for myself, I even when I introduced myself as an artist, um, if I met someone new and I was like, "Hi, hey, I'm Shinyi and I'm an artist," I didn't like the label artist because typically there is an associated sentiment of mastery over some 
niche like skill set right and therefore right. right and i and i'm not um so then then i felt fake or there was a a mental dissonance from me saying that and so then what is my alternative to say hey i'm shin yi and then no explanation which also i think causes a sort of disconnect because you're not giving anything about yourself uh, to the other person and therefore right. they can't connect with you. And so, yeah, I find that this idea of labels, a very tricky, a very tricky case, because you don't want to limit yourself by saying that, you know, I am Chinese and therefore my experience can only be Chinese, et cetera, right. or, or right. Asian American. And yet at the same time, having these labels also helps as a shortcut to to connecting with other people, I think. Because if you can say, I'm Asian American, and someone else is like, oh, I also think I'm Asian American, then you already have that that connection. Right. Or if you right. say, like, I'm into filmmaking, and someone else says that, then that's like something that you can potentially connect over, right? I was thinking that I want to point out that in terms of the labeling uh, and also the naming things, I think it also comes from our own history of like the more human history when it comes to the ideas of names. See, a long time ago, uh, especially then in the times of Egypt, for example, there, you ever heard of the concept of true names before? Mm -mm, no, please explain. True names are basically the idea that um, that names have power, and when you ever when you name something, you actually have power over that thing. Or, or some cases, um, like for example, if you destroyed someone's name, you can actually kill somebody. That's that's the uh, that's one of the other myths that I've heard about the concept, because true names basically provide a structure and an identity over something where something that you couldn't name. Therefore, it was boundless, and therefore you couldn't give it form. If that makes any sense, why do you think that in the Bible, the um, in the in the Gospel of John, they say the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, because the Word was definitely power in this case. In this case, you are definitely correct when it comes to the concept of giving something a, a word or a name or a label. It all derives from that. It's all about also. I think I think a way that it can be a solution to that is to understand that it could be a fluidity, and it comes to in comes to who you are, and a fluidity and naming would be a very interesting thing to explore. Probably probably that would be its own conversation, but. Um, I, this is something I just came up with right now. Is actually uh, what if if the, if we if we can experience a concept like gender fluidity or something like that? Why not something about the the fluidity of names? You know, I'm just I'm just throwing stones out there. <laughs> no, no, I love this so much because I actually in the past made like this whole YouTube video little animation thing about about the names I've had growing up, because obviously I had, like when I was born, my gifted uh, Chinese name. And then when my family immigrated to America, there was a desire for me to adopt an English name, but my parents refused to give me one because they wanted me to keep my identity um, and my connection to my culture. And therefore I started to kind of associate myself to different names to begin with. And then later in life, when I started to accept who I was and come to have pride in my Asian American experience, go, going like full circle and and wanting to adopt not only my, my name as it 
is, but then also taking the the Chinese pinyin version of my name because my name Xinyi, the Chinese pinyin, uh, which is what I'm using for my social media now, X I N Y I. My legally, my mom actually changed it to S H I N Y I because she wanted to make it easier to be understood and like pronounced because uh, I think. You know, generally speaking, English speakers will look at the X and not know how to like process that phonetically. Yeah. Like, you don't have to worry <laughs> about me because I actually know a little Chinese myself. You know? Oh, really? Okay, <laughs> perfect. Yeah, so I can、um, I can understand your your naming conventions and stuff like that. Thank you. Yeah. So coming back full circle, I I decided okay, I want to be known like, I want to be known not only as like. My Chinese name, but I want to take the the Chinese pinyin of it now.、Um, so, and then I've always had an interest as well in nicknames and how they come to be. Whereas it's also kind of interesting me talking to some of my other friends, them not having a very high affinity to nicknames,、um, maybe due to like some events that have occurred in their past or childhood. But、mm. yeah, what are your feelings on nicknames? Oh, feelings on nicknames. I've been given a lot of different nicknames. Like my dad, my my my、uh, birth dad, he would call me all sorts of nicknames, like、uh, Thewski, because my last name was Matt. My my first name is Matthew and stuff like that. Thewski, Thewski, do. That's what <laughs> he would say. And then there was um, I'm usually actually called Matt. That that's usually my nickname, but everybody calls me Matt. I don't really prefer to be called Matthew because it just I, I always like nicknames because they're very short and sweet and to the point. And I like my names being to the point. There's also some other na- names that、uh, I've been given. Like for example, my mentor is actually a Chinese origami artist. If you did not know,、oh. and and interesting enough, he likes to call me Shao、uh, Erzi or Tiny Sun. In this case, you know, because because technically I'm one of his proteges. You know,、um, like in a way. Because it, it 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 because I know that nicknames also define about like a relationship that、um, people have with each other, and usually the what what kind of nicknames are there base are basically hints of what type of relationship that is. For example, my dad was a very playful type of guy, you know that's why he called me Thewski and stuff like that. And of course, Kyle, who is my Chinese origami artist mentor, would say that、uh, I'm his tiny son because I'm just you know. Like because he he sees a lot of what I could capably do, and you know, and I've done a lot for him actually. I actually finished a documentary on him as an origami artist. You know, wow. I actually、yeah. got the I got selected into three different、um, film festivals already, and I just submitted it last week. Oh my god! Wait, which three film festivals? Well, one is the Liftoff Filmmakers Sessions, which is an online film festival that if you get the highest、uh, votes, you'll be presented in Pinewood Studios in Hollywood. Second is I was a finalist in a Singaporean film festival called World Film Carnival. Finalist, actually, not just selected finalist. And I recently found out last night that I was also selected to this.、Um, I can't remember what the name was, but it was something Spring. Like、uh, something, uh, shoot! So it was an Indian film festival. If you did not know, so I got through, selected to three film festivals. I submitted to a couple more. I am. I'll be hoping that I get some selected others. You know, what I mean. Wow! Yeah, that's so exciting and very But, international、yeah. too. Yeah, I wanted to basically give like 
give back to my mentor who taught me so much about art and media production because he is like if you thought i'm an artist now this guy's an artist through and through i want to tell you a story about him because uh kyle is basically he's, he's different from most asian americans even by our standards well first of all he was born in london you know, but the thing is, his family is from China, but they, they were part of a shipping company that traveled around the world. He was born in London. Then he moved to Taiwan. He stayed there for like until he was 15. And then he came to the United States, stayed in New York, traveled all over the country. Then eventually came to Texas. He is a master of origami. He actually can he actually does his own folds. He does life size origami like dragons, Iron Man, all sorts of shapes and sizes. He's been doing it for 50 years, you know what I mean? And this guy is probably probably going to be my biggest influence in my, in, in my life. And, and you'd be wondering, you'd be wondering, uh, Matt, why is, why is um, this guy this particular influence? Well, funny enough, I actually met him at a film festival, an Asian-American film festival where we talked about stuff. And I was thinking about... Um, what we can do to work together. And I was always very interested in Chinese culture myself, even though I'm Filipino, because China, I think, has a lot of history behind it, like 5,000 years, definitely. And also there's a lot of potential that, you know, people from China and, you know, the whole of Asia can potentially do to shape the world for the future to come. The West has been doing it for years, but I think Asia is, up, is going to step up, you know, with all what's going on, you know what I mean? Sorry, sorry about that. I, I know it was a bit of a digression from nicknames and stuff like that, but I really wanted to gush out of uh, my mentor and stuff like that. No, so. no, this is perfect. Um, in terms of him being a mentor, then, then he, he's also a filmmaker, or uh, he did actually produce stuff before, but he started out as an origami artist. He's also a painter. He's also mainly an event organizer. He did fashion shows, even with Matthew Knowles, who was actually Beyonce's father. If you did not know that. Uh, yeah, so he he he's he's also very well connected to other people, also with like philanthropists and all that stuff. This guy was accomplished. He's also one of the few Asian American artists to have his art displayed permanently in in an American museum. If you did not know that. Wow. Wait. What is, what is his name? His name is Kyle Fu. But funny enough, he actually goes by multiple names. Like I first called him Jake because that was the name he went by. But then I went back to Kyle, which was what he's mostly known by. But that's neither of those are his real names because his real name is supposed to be TJ Fu. TJ, uh, TJU, TJU Fu, yeah. But in fun, funny enough, that's not even his real name either because it was actually misspelled on his birth certificate. His real, original name was supposed to be Dure, like the Chinese form of Derek and stuff like that. So he went by multiple different names and stuff like that. Whoa, how interesting. And... I want to touch back on the point that you were just speaking on regarding nicknames, and I've never thought of it this way, but you um, you basically just pulled out from my subconsciousness exactly my sentiment on nicknames, which is that it highlights the type of relationship that you have. And so I think maybe that's why I personally crave nicknames because I feel like it's another layer that demonstrates the type of like friendship or mentorship or whatever it is that you have with another person. So very, very interesting. I was really curious to know, because you came up with this question for me regarding the the person who's less the most impression on me and I was curious to know what the inspiration behind that question was and now I'm trying to like 
the reason for this is because as you were explaining your mentor, I was wondering to myself, oh, was he the inspiration for this? Yes, he was. He was. (laughs) Like unambiguously, yes. That was basically the reason. Wait, so when did you meet him? Because I was also curious because you, within your question, you asked about three years. And I was like, oh, why three years? Because I met him three years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I met him like back in 2019, I believe, at uh, a Houston Asian American film festival called Happy Fest. And he was actually showing off his origami stuff. And I was very interested. Uh, actually, he invited me to that event. I met him in a different world, uh, film festival called Wolf Fest, which was one of the oldest film festivals in America, which is in Houston. And then I only knew him like briefly. And then he invited me to this other film festival where I got to know him and stuff like that. And we, and he, we ate dinners together and all that type of stuff. Interesting enough, he's also LGBT, if you did not know. Like... Um, He's actually probably like, and of course, this guy's also in his 60s too. So you don't actually find a lot of open Asian American uh, LGBT people around, you know what I mean? And this guy was a huge advocate for the LGBT community back in the 80s when the AIDS crisis happened and stuff like that. You know, he, he experienced a lot, you know, and especially as someone that's LGBT Asian and stuff like that. And you don't see a lot of like Asian people to begin with. And Imagine if you don't even know a lot of Asian American LGBT people, like, um, like that's that's like, um, like, like you, you, you again. You don't really like this was in the eighties in particular, so there was not a lot of people that you could find that that he could really connect with and stuff like. That. But the thing about Kyle is that what makes him special is that he actually connects with all sorts of people. He doesn't just connect with just people within his own circle like artists and stuff he connects with like with like jocks like lawyers um like uh firemen like all sorts of different types of people white black asian latino he connects with everybody this guy is like truly international like if you want to find someone that's international as you can get Kyle is definitely that type of person. I've been hyping it up this whole call and stuff like that. I'm not even talking too much about myself. <laughs> we need to change that, but no, sure. I would love to if that was a possibility. Um, but I'll go ahead and answer the question. Go ahead. Um, yeah. So the person, in comparison, it's the the person that I'm thinking of is not as much of a mentor more of just like a friend and actually i met my husband within the last three years so i want to say mm. him but but my answer is actually tied between him and like the my like best friend right before him because the and i've explained this in a couple episodes but basically i had this one friend who i identified as like my gemini twin brother we had like the shortest and most intense friendship for three months where we like met each other it picked up really fast um there was nothing romantic about it whatsoever because he was gay and i'm a romantic so therefore nothing could have happened like chemistry wise but Mm. what was amazing about that friendship was that it just felt so pure and in the sense that it felt like a renaissance of my childhood, like when you meet a best friend in kindergarten or like first grade or something, and then all you want to do is like ever hang, just hang out with them. And us as like two full-time working adults living like an hour's drive from each other, like met up 
I think like three to four times a week is just something truly special. Um, And then at the end of that friendship, he ghosted me. I was so, so heartbroken because I got no explanation for what happened. Um, And and I mourned the death of that friendship for months where I just ended up journaling a lot to help myself process what was happening. Or like, right? yeah. yeah. And, and I want to say that he was the most influential person because I think due to that friendship was, and like the death of that friendship was actually what helped me open up to the friendship I had slash have with my husband and mm. for me to, to be open and to like continue being vulnerable um, was the key takeaway. And I think that's why he was such a pivotal character and person in my mind, because um, one of my processing journal entries I did, the big final one that helped me move on from him was me realizing the reason why I was so hung up over this like friendship breakup was that I felt like when I found him, I felt like, and the reason why I called him my Gemini twin brother was because like so many of our experiences paralleled each other um, with being Asian American, with the complexity of our relationship with our parents, with living at home, us being both creative chimeras. It was like the first time where I felt like I was looking in a mirror and it was like, whoa, like you understand me like fully for myself. Like I feel so accepted. And for once, I feel like I belong on this earth through him. I I found him. I had that friendship for like three months and then it died. And so I was so heartbroken because it was just like I was finally accepted, but it didn't last. Right. So that was devastating. And the, the thing that I processed was this is heartbreaking because it's making me afraid or it made me afraid to connect with other people in the future because how will I know, like how long will it last? Like when will they like just drop me like this um, with no reason? And the conclusion of all that was just, I don't want to be afraid. Um, Even if like the next incredible friendship I have lasts only one conversation, like that. Like I, I meet someone, I instantly connect with them, and then I never get to speak with them again. I don't want to miss that opportunity just because of fear, because I'm afraid to have that sort of connection. And therefore, right. due to me processing all of that, I was able to open up to my husband as an aromantic person to be like vulnerable with him, to have to make this like connection with him, and therefore now have this relationship and like very special. Um, sacred friendship that I have with him and therefore therefore even though I want to say it's my husband it's actually truly the the friend that came right before my husband now ask me this question again in a year and then like (laughs) that friendship would be out of the picture and then it would just yeah 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 Yeah. I understand (laughs) yeah Yeah. so here's some clarification aromantic is more like a more of a platonic kind of angle or something different yeah, yeah. I would say that from my personal perspective, because there, within aromanticism, there's also a spectrum within that as well. Um, oh, yeah. So, but because I've heard of like demi-romantic, which is like you're not able to, you wouldn't like have a crush on anyone. But like if you start developing a platonic friendship first, then you could eventually like pivot into like a romantic 
or like maybe you'll start catching feelings like later on. Right. Um, but I identify as like full aromantic, like level zero, as in no no crushes and like even as friends, no no like feelings moving forward. The reason why I now have a romantic relationship as an aromantic is because I chose it and i yeah. like chose to become a romantic for this person which was actually also difficult in a lot of ways because there's a lot of like emotional stress that occurs with being with right. like you know having the sort of tie with someone else um right so yeah <laughs> okay well thanks for clarifying that with me because you know I, I, I don't really know too much about um, like the, all the different spectrums when it comes to like uh, relationships, you know, whether it be platonic, sexual or something else and stuff like that. I know I have to be with I know I'm trying to understand my own, you know, I, I, might, I might be straight, but there's all there's there's something about me that, you know, I, that's probably a whole different conversation. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's something that. Like I, I actually had a relationship before. Um, this was like this thing lasted about two years, and it was actually a long distance relationship. And the person I was with was this was a very complicated relationship. Just to let you know, and I'm not just talking about it because it was long distance. That's something I could probably tell you in a different time because I still have to kind of process my reflections regarding that relationship. But let's just say that I, we, that the person I got along with, sometimes I didn't get along with them. Sometimes I got along with them. Sometimes I didn't get along with them. And it was like, it was a roller coaster. It was a fucking roller coaster. So excuse my language. Um, yeah, um, it, it was, it was a roller coaster because basically about what we wanted from each other, whether or not we truly wanted it. And also there was also a lot of communication issues and stuff like that. And also because of her temperament and my temperament, I have to admit that maybe we got, maybe we probably were fine on our own, but we got crazy together. Basically we were very crazy together, you know, but, um, but I'll probably tell you about that in a different time because I don't want to spoil too much, you know what I mean? Okay. But I do have another, I will, I'll leave it on a cliffhanger. Maybe it'll get people guessing. But I wanted to ask you another question about um, your favorite collaboration with an artist. Who is your favorite collaboration? Oh, gosh. These are very difficult because I feel like every collaboration is very special in their own way. So to pick like a favorite above all of them is very... It's very hard. But one that did come to mind um, immediately was this trip that I took to Boise, Idaho in the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah. I, I went to Boise because I had a YouTube a YouTuber friend living out there. And this was the year, I can't even remember the years specifically anymore, but it was the year that where you could view the um, total solar eclipse of like this, of the moon moving in front of the sun. Boise, Idaho at that time was one of the few cities in America where you could view a total eclipse. And so I had thought to myself, let me visit my friend. I've never met her in person. Let me see the full like solar eclipse. And then the couple days leading up to us actually like uniting I had fallen in love with this random like Chinese pop song and I and she's like a fashion YouTuber and I 
am a creative chimera. And also I was doing like travel vlogs and stuff on YouTube. Mm. That's how we met, like through YouTube vlogging primarily. And I reached out to her and I was like, crazy idea. Um, but do you want to do like a music video collaboration over the song that I'm obsessing over right now? We'll style it. Um, we'll like find places to shoot because we both already have experience doing this like for fashion styling YouTube videos and then she was like yes I'm so game and I also know someone who is currently studying film and production so he has like some pretty fancy toys like a drone that we could also like play oh. with and so it was like a very small makeshift production team of like me, her, this other dude, and then like her roommate, where like we borrowed her roommate's husband's like Mustang for like, <laughs> <laughs> for like a scene. And it was just it was just so fun and it was just so like big kid energy where like we were we were just there to play, right? Like there was yeah. no vision of anything more than the moment of us getting excited, of us dressing up, of us working with a few other like of her friends, and yeah, it was like a lot of fun. So I, think I wish I had like... more of that in my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you work in film, right? So isn't there like a lot of opportunities for crazy stuff like this? Um, maybe not in Houston as much. Uh, a lot of my stuff was independent filmmaking and stuff like that. And uh, the first film that I did was, well, I actually did a couple of videos before with some other nonprofit organizations, but my first film was with About Kyle. Um, that, that, the, the film that I got selected into three different film festivals was actually my first one that I actually submitted to film festivals. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And the problem with me is that I don't, I'm not really, I, I, I wish I was more well connected to the filmmaking community at, in Houston as much as I could be, you know I mean? The thing is, as someone that has autism and stuff like that, I have some biz, some issues with uh, being a little bit antisocial and stuff like that. So I got better. I got better over the last couple of years when it comes to, you know, interacting with people because of Kyle. Because he basically taught me about a lot of, like, different things about how it's very important that you have to go out there, be out there be your own brand and try to, you know, if you want, if you really want to make it in the media world, you kind of have to understand these, uh, not virtues, values. No, not values either. Like these supported steps that you have to achieve to become a filmmaker and stuff like that. And fortunately I actually did make it in a different way by making, having my own podcast. It's actually an audio drama. If you ever heard of it. No, I didn't know that you had one. Please share. How I started was um, I communicated through this app called Hello Talk, which is a language exchange app. I met this guy who is a Korean Canadian. Like he's a Korean guy that went to Canada to study art and stuff like that. We talk, talked a bit. I told him about a concept that I came up with about this Asian ghost that basically can, is, like you remember the ring and the grudge those movies and stuff like that imagine like the person that crawls out of the tv and stuff like that or crawls down the stairs you know from the grudge and stuff like that that white ghost girl you know from Joe's Japanese horror films and stuff like that yeah. imagine that but she was a good guy instead oh interesting okay so interesting enough I introduced this concept about this uh this ghost girl that was actually investigates supernatural crimes and conspiracies and threats on behalf of some organization and she teams up with some other different types of people 
to fight off these supernatural threats. I actually have it as an audio drama. It's four episodes in already. We're planning to finish the season with six, and then we'll continue making more of those. It's called Project Gnosis. How I got it together was I actually used something called castingcallclub.com, which is a website where you can hire voice actors or other different types of production people to do your productions. And these are mostly like amateur level productions and stuff like that for people that are just starting. But it's really good for people that are starting to get these productions done. Um, I got a lot of voice actors involved. Uh, Many of them are Filipino. The main character is actually uh, Chinese. Uh, The the voice actress herself is Singaporean. Um, A sound engineer, for example, who is my biggest advocate for this project. This guy is a godsend when it comes to sound design and music. He's actually based in Slovakia. But he does a lot of like, uh, I actually told him about what I was looking for in terms of sound design and also for music. And he actually went as far as to study a lot of Asian uh, music uh, theory on on like Chinese music, Filipino stuff. He even bought some, he, I even helped him buy a software from Germany that is supposed to be uh, electronic software that is based on instruments from around the world, like Asia, Africa, you know, all Middle East, all that part of stuff and stuff like that. And he's been, oh my God, like the, the stuff that he does with the sound and stuff like that is excellent. Not only is he a good sound mixer, he's also a good field recordist. He is, uh, he again, he, he started, he, he was a composer himself that did many of these, uh, these uh, music himself. Holy crap. And I was the one that just wrote and directed the whole thing. That was, that was my role in it. Everybody else contributed like immensely. Like my, my the Korean Canadian guy that I that I work with, he does a cover art for um for the uh, for the project because each of the each of the podcast episodes has different art. That's so cool. Wait, so would you say that this is your favorite collaboration then, or? It is my favorite collaboration, and it's also the also you know the question I said when you was the last time you came absolutely obsessed over something. How did this yeah, happen? Yeah, yeah. That also that question came from that actually. Like if you were going to ask me that question, that would be Project Gnosis in a nutshell. And the whole idea is that it's supposed to be an urban fantasy audio drama podcast where it takes place mostly from a non-Western perspective, featuring non-Western characters, you know, tackling the uh, different types of existential threats that are posing the threat to the world. In this case, a lot of the th- existential threats that, th- that pose the threat to the world are, is actually Lovecraftian entities. And... Interesting enough, I actually based the Lovecraftian entities as metaphors for um, for the worst aspects of colonialism and late stage capitalism. You know, in this case, where they basically mutate to a to a final form. Where because if we thought that the certain institutions that you know are bearing us down were that bad, this one takes place in the later future where all those institutions mutated into something far more despotic, twisted, basically everything taken to its logical conclusion, you know. That's the type of things that uh, Faye and that's the name of the protagonist that is basically going up against, you know. Wow, I'm excited to listen, so you'll have to like link me. Oh yeah, I'll definitely send you a link after the show and stuff like that. Amazing. Wait, I need to ask you the, the question that I ask everyone. How do you define a stranger and at what point do they transition from being one to not being one? That's a good question. And sometimes that process never always succeeds because some people that you want to be friends with still end up being strangers regardless. And there are some cases where people that you end up being close friends with become strangers again too. 
that usually some that's also a scenario that usually happens with you know with such things um so when i meet, first meet somebody especially like someone new uh the process actually depends on how much a camaraderie is formed how much um how much uh, how what do you call it? Uh, well, camaraderie would be in the word for it. Um, something that plays off with each other, you know, like how we interact, seeing if we get along to begin with, seeing if there is like a chemistry, oh, chemistry, chemistry that was being, you know, made between different people about what is being discussed, what is being, you know, if there's an interest being made, and then a link is starting to forge. And that depends on how fast it is. Sometimes it, it could be done in a day. Sometimes it could be, has to be done in a few weeks sometimes it could be only done in years it all varies between person to person depending on what is discussed but the more that you have in, you have like similar interests with a person the more the faster it usually becomes but sometimes there are pitfalls that usually happens where sometimes that there's a disconnect and sometimes those very same people could become strange again because of a disagreement or maybe because uh because there's nothing else we can talk about that kind of thing that's always something that I've always noticed when it comes to me interacting with people as someone that's on the autistic spectrum, because with someone that someone like me that's an autist like an autistic person, I had to basically study because the thing is a lot of people that are in the neurotypical range, which are the people that usually are not neurodivergent, uh, they don't tend to they don't tend to think about a lot of the the cues that they take for granted about can telling about people you know can jive or not and stuff. I had to figure this out you know, like more self consciously about like if 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 this person if I can understand the cues of this person if they are comfortable around me or not. And sometimes it took time. Some and it was even harder with with you know when it comes to text messaging and all that since there's no social cues to begin with. So just to answer your question, I think it really depends on, you know, who you interact with. And sometimes it's not a guarantee that there would be a connection in terms of strangerdom and all that stuff. I love the emphasis on the non-linear path. Yeah, you can you can start as strangers, then move towards not strangers, and then at the end of the day, like become strangers again, as uh, highlighted by my. And there might be a chance where you become not strangers either. You know, sometimes it just it sometimes it's a spectrum, or sometimes they would just bounce back and back and forth. I had I had situations like that before. You know. Yeah, for sure. It's complicated. Relationships are complicated. Friendships are complicated. Um, I am so curious to know, especially since you have highlighted it, that you had to like make conscious effort to for social cues. And because now that's making me question, oh, what are what are social cues that I take for granted? So do you mind sharing some uh, some social cues that you have consciously like had to highlight for yourself to help you understand like social well um for me personally i could tell if um if a person's engaged if they're having eye contact with me or if they're not having eye contact with me or they're looking around or noticing something else and stuff like that that's usually a very common one but another one that's a much more subtle is body posture or body uh body stance like for example if i'm crossing my arms that means i'm usually guarded you know with uh with what is being discussed like i'm just here to basically speculate and and basically open to a bit of a skepticism about what is being you know 
what what my interaction with that other person is. If I'm just like if I'm not like having this guarded stance, and I'll be being more open, you know, and stuff like that. There's a lot of different cues out there that you can possibly do, but I think the biggest example is um, eye contact usually. Or, or facial expressions, or, 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 or like the direction of, of your, of your, of your, um, of your body when it comes to in engaging a person. For example, if you're in a group of people and a person is going this way, looking at this person, but they're not looking at you, they're not really much engaged with you as they are with the other person. For example, and I don't, and of course, if you see me not looking you directly and stuff, I don't worry because of the webcam stuff, and also yeah, yeah. because of, also because I'm not really good with you know looking at people in eye contact because I actually am I get I tend to be nervous when it comes to camera stuff and I also blink my eyes a lot when it comes to that no especially when I'm trying to say my thing because again I'm 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 a little bit atypical when it comes to stuff like that so that's examples of what I wanted to point out there for you no no worries at all because I think that when I'm trying to explain difficult or I'm trying to process concepts i tend to look away and like not make eye contact because it's very distracting for me to focus on someone's face and then also process like a complicated subject matter for example but when i'm listening i can make i can make eye contact (laughs) yeah sometimes you don't necessarily have to look at, at the person you just have to look at them consistently but you don't have to look at them like straight on because then that would be weird (laughs) (laughs) or should we start normalizing it (laughs) right right. what are the three things that you believe that you and i have in common i've noticed a couple things that you that i think we would have in common first is passion because you're definitely a very passionate person about the things that you want to talk about and the things that you want to express as someone that is a creative chimera an artist and someone that's Asian American trying to especially connect with others that I, I really appreciate stuff like that. Second part is introspection because you're definitely someone that likes to reflect on uh, different things and different concepts. Like even in our conversation, you're already reflecting about what I'm saying, just like I have been a tendency to reflect on a lot of things that I've been thinking about in my life and stuff like that. Third would be probably the biggest um, challenge, maybe because we're both Asian. Uh, that maybe that's a cop out or something, but you know, <laughs> you know, I know we're both Asian, though, just probably the co- most common. But I think the to, the other ones, passion and introspection, are definitely the ones I could definitely see that we can have something that we are on level with because because um, I really appreciate those true attributes, you know, from people. I felt it too, just the way that you described, for example. Um, how excited you got over your mentor because I feel like when I love somebody and like that is to to distinguish it from being in love with someone so like the romantic aspect but like when you love somebody or more more so when I love somebody I feel the need to share it with everyone like this person is so cool and I felt that within you with you hyping and like promoting your mentor um, with that passion and then secondly to um, this project that you're collaborating on the way that you have orchestrated it and like brought all these people together uh, for it as well and you supporting the people on your team uh, the aspect of connection with other people and then also the passion as well I agree 
So is that those are three things that you say that we have common with me, or you have a different answer to that? I actually got this question off of um off of like a group get to know you you type thing that I was doing on one of my digital nomad stints with this group called Wi-Fi Tribe and yeah, this was a question that someone posed for us to like answer with each other. Um, and I just thought it was so fascinating. But yeah, I would say the the passion, the love of humanity or just love of other people. And then the last one, I would say similar similar to the line of introspection, but just curiosity, because I get, I get the sense that you are very curious about a lot of things, especially oh, when, yeah. when you were like, oh, do you know about this term from Egypt, the true names or something? And I immediately thought to myself, okay, this guy is interested in a lot of things he digs into, like yeah. trivia, but then also just, you know, fascinating things to know. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely like a very much a fan of history, mythology, politics, religion. I'm very interested in more like those cultural aspects, you know, because they basically define about how our society is guided. I mean, mathematics, science, all of those are good mechanical fundamentals about how we basically shape our system. But in terms of the the elements that make humanity humanity and how it defines itself as a culture and how it defines itself as an identity, that's why I'm so interested in history and mythology in particular, you know, the stories that they, they basically tell ourselves. That's actually what history and mythology are, basically, the stories we tell ourselves, whether it be in the stories of gods and heroes or the, or the times of what happened before, whether it be real or not real. We still tell these stories to ourselves, you know. That's why I'm so passionate about it, because ultimately, at the end of the day, it's all about stories. It's so true. I, I wish I had that perspective when I was studying history, like in school, but I didn't see that value or I didn't see that perspective about history, that it is just like stories that we tell ourselves or it, that it gives insight for who we are as, as homo sapiens, as humans, human beings. Right. So, yeah. Well, it's probably because they taught poorly maybe that's probably why <laughs> yeah yeah i have beef with the the education system but that's oh, uh, that's something here. for another, <laughs> another yeah, day. true enough true enough <laughs> thank you matt for such an interesting and thought-provoking conversation if you'd like to connect with him you can reach out directly on instagram at t-y-r-e-s-i-d-o-n or if you'd like a personal introduction you can always come say hi to me at don't be strangers Again, signups for the Pen Pals Club for March is open until the 25th of the month. I'd love to write to you if that's your thing. Voice vlogs, entry number three. Today is Friday, February 11th, 2022, and I'm a week out until my vacation to Oaxaca, Mexico. It's pretty rare that I revisit a place because the logic I follow in my mind is why return somewhere when it's more interesting to explore someplace new? But I just fell in love with Oaxaca from my time there in October last year and I really wanted to share it with my husband, so that's that. Last night, I met up with Pallavi, who was a friend that I found via a Facebook group when I was temporarily moving to Chicago for five weeks last May. We didn't actually have the opportunity to meet when I was out in Chicago, and shortly afterwards, she moved to San Francisco. But we kept in touch, and she happened to be in town in Mexico City, so almost a year later since I first reached out, we grabbed dinner together last night. Life is incredible, isn't it? 
The only other thing that's been on my mind lately was that Abhas of episode 9 has introduced me to this idea of hypnotherapy, and I'm keenly interested to use it to help me with some chronic stress that I'd love to find the source of and heal from. All in all, life's good, and I'll speak with you again very soon. Until then, don't be a stranger!